what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents, as well as caring for ourselves. I am Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents. In this podcast, we're talking about the power of a geriatric pharmacist and de-prescribing medications. This is going to be good. Dr. Delon Canterbury is the founder of Geriatrics, a telehealth based concierge company that focuses on the health and wellness of our older adults. Geriatrics uses precision medicine and evidence-based continuous medication management to encourage de-prescribing medication for older adults. He started the company with the hope of providing geriatric clinicians, caregivers, and patients a focus on less medication harm and improved quality of life by pinpointing harmful medications for older adults. He is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist with a doctorate in pharmacy from the University of North Carolina, Eshelman School of Pharmacy. Inspired by what he was learning during his graduate work, he subsequently resigned from a national pharmacy chain and became a consultant and caregiver advocate. Hello, Delon. We are delighted to be talking with you today about such an important topic. So good to have you here. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Francis. It really is a pleasure to be here. Thank you all for tuning in as well. I am so excited to talk about de-prescribing and helping people understand some of those medications and how we can avoid some of the harms of them, as well as some of the benefits we may have. There you go. Uh, as we often say in, in ACAP, it's a both and kind of situation. <laughs> yep. Okay, so, so let's kind of get into this. So often we go to the doctor. We don't know, you know, we're not pharmacists. We're not chemists. We don't know what we really are taking, but we trust our doctor. And we trust our healthcare professional to say, this is what you need. So we get the prescription, we go to the pharmacy, we get it filled, we start taking it. Mm-hmm. Period. We're done. Okay. So, so talk. Let's let's kind of put some framework around this. Let's talk first about what are some of the things that we who are advocating for and caring for our older parents and older loved ones. What should we be looking for as signs of harm that medication mm-hmm. may be doing to us or to a loved one? Let's start there. Yeah, let's definitely start there. Um, so uh, really, we have to have a strong understanding of our loved ones, basically baseline, like what is going on normally in their day to day, and how are we able to identify 
any potential changes in their body from the change of a medication being added or maybe reduced or stopped. And so at first, you got to just know what is your loved one dealing with? What are what's normal for them? And so when it comes to the world of geriatric medicine, we often are trained to think first think medications. If we're seeing an increase in falls, if we're seeing any changes in cognition, even sometimes we may see dehydration or, or increased urination, you may want to assume there's some type of medication and not just think it's, oh, they're just getting older. In a way, that mindset kind of does fall into the world of ageism. And we may subconsciously not realize we're just writing someone off, which may be suffering from a side effect or medication concern. The another piece is understanding, look, you got to know what all your loved ones are taking. All because someone may have had a medicine 5, 10, 15 years ago does not mean it is still appropriate now. And the problem with medicine is we aren't really trained to stop medicines. We're trained to treat. We're trained to add a new prescription if there's a new health condition. And so that's the medical model. But we're not fit taught the question, what's the timeline for these medications? Is that benefit that we saw 15, 20 years ago still beneficial now? And then one of my favorite questions to ask are, are the medications vital for my loved one to live? And are they extremely important for me to maintain a high quality of life? If those two are not answered with each medication someone's on, you have a potential opportunity to have a question about whether we should continue or taper or stop that medication altogether. And so the key to knowing when to have these convos is to understand what potential side effects or what bodily changes are happening. Essentially, that is where you're able to start having these dialogues, having these open-ended questions with your providers and start seeing, okay, my loved one has been on 12 pills that may be a little bit much. Is there something we can do? Even if everything is going fine, the sweet spot is to have five or less medications. And the less medications we have, the less risk of drug interactions, the less risk of potential harm, falls, and even mortality and hospitalization. A fun fact, just so you know, is the addition of one prescription when people are on like basically five or 10 more meds Each additional medication added to that list is associated with a 3% increase in mortality. That's right. Potential death. And I'm not trying to scare people, but I'm trying to give the context of this culture that we aren't doing the best job of reducing medication harm if we know for a fact half a trillion dollars are wasted each year from American taxpayers because we're treating them on the back end with hospital visits that could have been avoided. So we have opportunities to go and work on that. You you have just said so much. I feel like we could go, okay, thank you. We're done. <laughs> we're, not. we're not at all because you have opened the door for so many questions. But I want to go back to something that you said at the very beginning, because I certainly found this with my mother. And that Mm -hmm. is that that medications, 
there always are going to be some, there's going to be some sort of impact in the body with every medication that we take or every, everything over the counter prescription, anything, our body is going to react because that's how it, that's how the medication is, is designed to, to have some kind of response. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I certainly found with my mother that, yeah, a UTI caused enormous confusion, oh, yeah. you know, and, and if we just went and, and I had said to the doctor, my mother is confused, they'd go, be going, oh, let's, you know, potentially, let's put yeah. her on medication to, to help with that with the confusion, well, no, it's, there's another condition precipitating and causing that condition. So thank you for that alert. You know, be sure that we're really understanding what really is going on, what the changes are. And that is knowing our loved one well enough to be able to identify when there is a change. So, so that, that's a huge takeaway from all good that you just said and that's interesting i've never heard the, um i've never heard five the sort of the sweet spot the sweet spot is five medications or less and um and that with each additional medication there's a three percent increase in mortality in fact one of the things that i've heard is that depending on your age um that that you should be taking no more than than one pill per decade of your life. But that's, hmm. you're saying, no, 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 that that's not, you know, if you're 80 and you're only taking eight pills, that's not necessarily good, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. No, that I've, I have not heard that one. Um, <laughs> and it's not to say that if you're on eight, they're all harmful and bad and you're in a dangerous way. It's just a way of framing I think the next topic of conversation, which falls around polypharmacy. And so polypharmacy essentially is defined by someone taking five or more medications. And we as clinicians know in the literature that if you're on more than five, and especially if you're over, you know, over 65 in the aging population, uh, there are higher risks of harm. And they're higher risk of having some of those adverse events, like those falls, those cognitive impairments. And as I mentioned, drug interactions. So I'm not going to say that if you're on five or more that you're in trouble's way. But when you start hitting 10, 15, 20, 30 med- prescriptions on a med list, which I've seen, it, you are put in a potentially harm's way. It's not even potential at that point. And so there's room for deprescribing opportunities, which is the safe removal of the, some of these medications done in a supervised, tapered, and structured form where we can safely get to a more reasonable number. But to be frank with you, a lot of it can be done with the right advocacy, the right education, lifestyle changes, dietary, nutritional changes, along with having an expert who understands medication uh, pharmacology. Um, And so this is where I believe geriatric pharmacists as well as geriatricians will come into play uh, to advocate for that number. Because the more you're on five, you are technically defined as having polypharmacy and polypharmacy, the longer that list gets, the more likely you may have harm fall away. And that's, that's what we're trying to avoid when you're 80. We don't want you on 20 pills still. It doesn't make sense. It does not. And that's the problem I see day in, day out. So polypharmacy is taking a lot of medications. It is not having several 
pharmacists or several drugstores? Well, it's a that's a great point. Um, it's not necessarily having several pharmacists. Essentially, it's taking five or more medications. However, using multiple pharmacists or having multiple providers are actually risk factors for polypharmacy. So they do tie in, but they can contribute to that problem. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Talk about de-prescribing. How does that process work? What does that look like? Yeah. So de-prescribing, again, I mentioned is, is either a dose reduction of a medication or a complete stopping of a medication. And generally, this is done supervised. Again, no one should just go home and just say, all right, I'm not taking any of these. That's inappropriate. You need to have a medical uh, supervision from your doctor or permission to do that. Um, But in in our world, it literally is looking and assessing, okay, what medications, when I'm doing a medication review or a de-prescribing action plan for my patients, I'm looking at, all right, what are my patients' chief complaints? What are their biggest issues? And what are their personal goals? Do they want to start walking again? Do they want to start playing with their grandbabies? Do they want to start you know, remembering their days? Little things. And what I'd look to do is to align what medications are preventing those goals. And I prioritize them as talking points to safely reduce the dose or stop altogether. And so a lot of this is basically conducting drug tapering schedules. Some medications clinically, you can stop cold turkey, no issues, right? Some medications, for instance, like some of our psych uh, antidepressants or anxiety medications, certain blood pressure medications, you actually have to wean off gradually. But de-prescribing is basically the reduction of those medication pill lists to as little as possible, um, as safely as possible, um, and of course, educating around what conditions may reappear or may happen or what withdrawal symptoms may happen along the way. So you don't just stop. You got to have a plan where you're monitoring and consistently communicating with the patient. Here's what to expect. Okay, provider, here's what we should plan for. Here's a plan C in case, you know, there's a relapse of some sort. That is just a way of monitoring and gradually making sure that people get to that goal of less than five medications. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of smiling because I can remember my husband and I had plans to go to Scotland uh-huh. and my mother had a shoulder, as I remember, she had a shoulder pain. And so I took her to the doctor and the, the nurse practitioner said, I want to my mother, I want you to take whatever Advil or whatever for the pain for her shoulder. My mother had been on blood pressure medication for decades. Well, she, we walked out and I said, so mom, do you, do you, did you understand, you know, that you're supposed to, to add the, the Advil or whatever for the shoulder? Oh yeah. Yeah. What I didn't understand because it didn't occur to me to ask is that she thought that she was being told to only take the pain medication for her shoulder to completely stop taking her blood pressure medication. Well, fast forward a couple of weeks, of course, her blood pressure medication is, or her blood pressure is completely out the roof. And we wind up back at the emergency room. And that's when I realized that she 
understood what she was supposed to do differently from what she really was encouraged to do, which was to add something for pain, not take away anything, because everything had been fine up until that point. Hmm. So long story short, I just want to really put in a plug that any kind of of eliminating or reducing a medication has to be done, as you are saying, under guidance and with a plan and with a plan B. If something goes haywire, what do we do? How do we how do we take care of that? Precisely. So, okay. So, so you had, when you and I were talking earlier, you said something about genetic testing mm-hmm. relative to deprescribing. Talk just a few minutes about the role that that genetic testing can play. Yeah, absolutely. So, genetic testing is one of my favorite topics um, as a tool I use, especially for deprescribing. So, this is a new wave of precision medicine or personalized care that's getting a lot of attention in our medical space. And what genetic testing does is it looks to see what medications may interact with your body without taking a single medication or pill. And so this is a way for people to get a simple cheek swab. It's affordable. It's accessible now. Before it used to not be. It's actually covered by Medicare and Medicaid in some states. And so this cheek swab is able to give me a report that tells me, hmm, because of the way your body is set up, you shouldn't take this antidepressant. You should take this other one. Or this opioid will cause you to be knocked out. You should probably take this other pain med. And so a lot of this started with the world of oncology when it came to certain types of uh, cancer treatments. And we found that some people didn't respond well to other meds versus others. And so that kind of augmented this use. And now we're seeing the extrapolation of genetic testing for statin medications, blood thinners, uh, blood pressure medications, pain medications, antidepressants. You can basically name it. There are tons of medications that are cleared that can change from me to you, Francis. You may respond well, but I may have a fatal side effect. A lot of that comes down to genetics. This is a way that pharmacists particularly are um, creating their own clinics like I do for myself. All of my patients get a genetic test so that if I make a drug recommendation, you're going to know I am cross-checking your genes with your body and your drugs instead of just the traditional method where we should say, okay, you just try this for three months and let's hope it works out. That's the problem with modern medicine is we're just using this catch-all approach saying, all right, well, the guidelines say this, everyone needs to be on this. And that's, as we all know, we're all different. I'm African-American, they're Asian people, they're Native American, their genes, their environments, they can affect how you respond. And those differences are the key differences that genetic testing can shed light to. Interesting. I would never have connected that. I think of genetic testing for all kinds of other things, but that's really interesting that we are using it in the space of prescribing medications and knowing what medications really are going to do in the in the, that individual's body. So that's really fascinating. Okay, so so let's go to the caregivers. Okay. So what what should caregivers and advocates be asking their their medical professionals, their medical yeah. providers 
about the medications and their side effects? What What are some of the questions that they that we all should be asking? Our, I, our loved yeah, I love I love this question. It's it's always a good one. Um, and I would say some of the low hanging fruit would be to ask about having and asking for a medication review. I don't mean a, are you on these meds? Yes, no. I mean an actual deep dive medication. And what some people don't know is that their annual wellness visit, which Medicare pays for every year, covers an intensive medication review. And you should request that if you haven't had one in the last year, you get one every year. But as part of your annual wellness visit is a med review, and they are supposed to go through each and every single medication, questioning the, the validity, the efficacy, the need, uh, the dose. Um, all of those things can be done. So request that. Make it your next visit. Don't say, we'll talk about it for five minutes. Make it visit for that service. That's number one. Number two, when it comes to what they should consider asking, honestly, deprescribing is a reiterative repetitive process. You may want to start with simply saying, hey, I noticed my grandma or my mom is on you know, 12 meds. She's doing fine right now. But what can we do to get her off of one or two? What are some lifestyle changes we can make now? What are some ways we can incorporate diet and nutrition? Uh, Francis, I can't tell you how many times I've assessed how much water are you drinking in a day? And they're like, oh, well, I've been having headaches. I don't really drink much water. I drink a lot of coffee and sodas. And it's like, well, you don't need to take that ibuprofen or Tylenol if you drank more water. You see what I'm saying? So that's where I believe the deep prescribing conversation needs to happen, especially if your loved one may be having any uh, concerning side effects or alarming new health scares that may come up or fall. Hey, I'm noticing XYZ is happening. Doc, what do you think some of these medications may be doing to worsen that? And when you're able to have an open dialogue, you're going to want to keep track of what's being said and then start advocating for yourself, saying, all right, I'm noticing this. What can we do to get rid of this side effect? Do you think this blood pressure medicine may be causing their feet swelling? Instead of just seeing it as another health condition, start thinking medications first, especially when it comes to cognitive impairment, falls. And so I'd say the number one thing also is to ask a geriatric pharmacist, uh, which is probably more accessible than a geriatrician, but ask your local community pharmacist, hey, do you have a moment to do a, a deep dive on these meds? Get your free advice and then relay what you find out there to your provider and make it a consistent ask at each and every visit. What can we do to get off some of these medications? Um, is the dose appropriate for my loved one and their age? Is it appropriate for their kidneys? Is it appropriate for their liver? Is it appropriate for their sex? Some medications work more for women and less for men. It's just what it is. So having these open-ended dialogue around each and every single medicine, and I mean herbals, over-the-counters, uh, shampoos, eye drops, all of those can have drug interactions. So you got to list every single thing someone's taking. And yes, even further, there are drug food interactions as well. So diet is extremely important. So a lot of this really comes down to really being a detective and fine tuning, do we need all this? And asking those right questions. Um, shampoo. <laughs> all the others I'm aware of, but shampoo? How does shampoo yeah. interact? Uh, you, yeah. 
everything has a side effect, Francis. Um, some shampoos can cause burning and itching. And some people have psoriasis. There may be a contraindication with your health condition and psoriasis. It could dry you out. There could be a dehydrating effect. It could be maybe you get more systemic absorption because of stuff on your skin. Oh, because as a shampoo, you still have some way of that drug getting into your body. Some people are sensitive to that. People who are older have more broken skin. And so there are ways for that drug to get in and can cause side effects. Eye drops can do the very same thing. Uh, so nasal sprays can do the same thing. There are certain nasal sprays you can't use if you have HIV because there's a significant drug interaction. So everything matters. It's You may not think it does, but every single drug matters. So great question. Yeah, yeah. I, food I, I got and, and eye drops, I mean, my word, eye drops have been in the news so much recently. Uh, you know, but, but shampoo was the one that kind of threw me. You also made a comment about a, a geriatric pharmacist. Mm-hmm. How would someone find a geriatric pharmacist? Um, yeah. You know, big city, small town, how, how would they, how, you know, and how prevalent are geriatric pharmacists? I can't even lie. There, there are not many of us. Um, there is a directory, though, that you can search, and it's under the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. They have a directory of board-certified geriatric pharmacists. Now, I'll be honest. There are maybe, what, there are 370,000 pharmacists in the country. Maybe five or 7,000 are even geriatric trained. So it's already a very small one to 2% of the population. So I get that. If it's easier to find a geriatrician, start with a geriatrician. But I would say there's, it's probably easier to find a geriatric pharmacist because we're yeah. a lot of us are more accessible because we're not like booked out a year out or six months. So uh, I would start with ASCP. I would Google geriatric pharmacist. Um, in my area, and but the ASCP list of actually does have a directory where you can search by state who is a local geriatric pharmacist. And basically, ASCP is the consortium of geriatric pharmacists in the country, and I'm a part of that group as well. So that's the way I actually try to find some other pharmacists in other states who I may want to contact or contract work with. That's really good to know. I remember when my mother-in-law was in a nursing home and developed a condition and, and they did have a geriatrician on their staff or, or contracted with a geriatrician. And I remember a conversation with him that said that he said that uh, the medication for an older adult, and she would have been in her 90s at this point, that a, that a medication for an older adult is more akin to what you would give a child not an, an adult who is a middle-aged adult. And, um, and that, that always stuck with me. And so it's sort of, sort of the same thing. We take children to a pediatrician because they really understand what is happening in the child. Similarly, a geriatrician really understands the, what is happening in the older adult. Sort of along the same lines, a geriatric pharmacist is going to better understand what is what the drug interactions are going to be and what what the needs are for for an older adult than you know a 40 or 50 year old and so I'm, I'm 
yes, I'm putting in a plug for geriatricians and geriatric specialists and, and uh, geriatric pharmacists. Um, but, but at the same time, I think it does make a lot of sense. Oh, yeah. We just have a mindset there and our culture there yet. Um, maybe us, maybe we, maybe we baby boomers, just like we're the ones that, that exploded the, the, the field of, pediatri- of pediatrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe we're going to also explode <laughs> the whole geriatrician and geriatric field, yeah. hopefully. We need it. I mean, we, we, we really do need it. Uh, I cannot stress how I feel we are not infrastructurally prepared for our aging population. And I love them to death as much as you do, but we don't have enough staff and we don't have enough people trained in understanding uh, medication harm and medication um, effects as it comes to aging. And in fact, a lot of the evidence out there doesn't even really truly study our older population. We don't have a bunch of older population drugs. And so when that happens, we're basically, like you said, using a young adult side effect profile and assuming someone who's 80 is going to have the same response. It's just not true. Just And it's like you said, we're more like kids or more akin to children in treatment. And you're right. But we got to do better and prepare an army of people who are having multiple touch points with patients from Uh, CHWs, physical therapists, caregiver advocates, caregiver coaches. We need everyone on board talking about this because it's not just a a pharmacist doctor thing. Nurses are amazing advocates, social workers, geriatric care managers. There are tons of ways we can make this honestly a team-based mission. And that's what it's going to take for us to prepare for our uh, growing aging population um, and for caregiver support as well to make them breathe a little bit easy. Right, right. That, we we will have another conversation about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is another <laughs> topic. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let let's bring it back down. So, what? How do families best work with medical providers to to talk about the the interaction of medications and potentially de-prescribing and, you know, where, where do families start? Where does the caregiver start with their loved one's doctor? Oh yeah. Well, the easiest thing to start with, which can be hard sometimes, but is to have an accurate and up-to-date medication list. You got to have a talking point. And so if you are having some legit concerns about a potential medication issue, we have to know what all the patient is taking. And I'm going to be sadly honest with you, a lot of those medical records in the doctor's office are not accurate. On the back end, I've seen it. On the front end, a lot of those medical records are, oh, you're on all these things. So you can check your yourself. You're going to see one or two things. You're like, oh, I haven't taken that. Why is it still on there? But having an accurate med list is crucial for us to know what all is going on in your patient's care. And then you're going to want to come prepared, get organized, have your list of questions and do not take no for an answer. Ask all of those questions. And that's why it's best to have a pharmacist help you in doing an assessment or a medication review, which is, of course, what we provide with geriatrics. But you want to have that general opinion of what's going on. You're going to generally find some type of something, side effect, issue, interaction with just having a conversation. And when you have that ammo, that's when you're able to advocate and say, you know what? I've noticed these issues with grandma. She's had some some dizziness. I noticed when she tries to get up, she's she's shaky. 
her gait is kind of weak. Is there something medication related? And it literally just lead with, I am concerned about the medications. We don't want her on all this. What can we do to get her off? And you're going to find at least one or two things you could shave off and make it, again, a continuous process. Don't make it seem like or don't think that just because you're the patient or the caregiver, you can't ask questions. You're, you're the CEO of your health. You know your loved one's body better than anyone else. I don't care what anyone says. And so if you're seeing these changes, you have to be heard and listened to and, and, and share those concerns, frankly, until you get that result. And frankly, I've seen so many scenarios where it's a, a caregiver who's just like, I'm seeing 20 meds. I don't want that for my mom. I want her off all of it. And they find a way to get them off. So you can dictate that narrative. If you want to be on less meds, you do have to put in the work. You do have to find those lifestyle changes. You do have to start fixing some things that we can change in our day-to-day if it's possible. But if we haven't exhausted those options, it's going to be harder for a doctor to de-prescribe if the patient isn't doing the other things to get off those So I think a lot of it starts with having a pharmacist do a medication review. They're the drug experts. They know the medicines. They know the interactions. But a lot of it, honestly, is leading with an open-ended conversation and saying, look, these are my legit concerns. Document, record those meetings if you need be. Um, I, you know, it's hard to just tell people to Google stuff. I don't like telling people to do that because you don't know what you're going to find and you can't always trust what you find. But that's why I say to have a pharmacist or a, a geriatrician, someone trained in the senior space, understanding the meds, do a deep dive. And again, don't take no for an answer. Try to get your loved one on less than five meds and really ask what is vital, what is necessary, and and let your concerns be known. And again, I am not anti-medicine. I am anti this knee-jerk reaction to always prescribe something. And that's the problem I see in our current health system. This is such good and important, valuable information, Delon. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you're like, oh, got, 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 got to get this in? Uh, you know, if you have any questions at all, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Uh, we we help people all over the world, all over the country. It's important that people be empowered and educated, and I don't want you to go in this road alone. When you're a caregiver, you got to have a team of people. you got to have people who can navigate the system for you. That's what we do one-on-one for families. We are a concierge service. We help people one-on-one. And we train other senior businesses how to do what we do with deep prescribing. So I say to caregivers to build your army, build your team. Do not think this is all on you. And also take the time to take care of yourself. Take a break. There are services out there that literally thrive on giving you, the caregiver, some time off and they're they're paid for. So use respite care. Take care of yourself. Our caregivers, unfortunately, don't get enough breaks and they are honestly an unpaid $60 billion workforce that our healthcare system continues to abuse because of our structure. So we have to change that narrative and we have to find ways to really just have a village of people who have your back. Delon, this is absolutely on target and excellent information. Thank you so very much for being with us with this uh, with this podcast. I feel certain that this will be extremely meaningful for lots of people. 
Thank you also to our listeners. Thank you for being with us. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you. And please do share it with others that you think that, that you think it may help. Um, and if you have any other questions, as as Dawn has says, said, let us know. You can access ACAP through our website. Let us know and we will get the question to, to Delon. This program is part of the Mesh Network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our Caregiver Community podcast on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts. You also will find our podcast on, of course, our website, www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a look around and see the other resources, uh, our, our monthly programs, our videos, and all sorts of other resources that we have on, on our website. And if you, there are other topics that you would like for us to address in a podcast, please let us know. As we say so often in, in ACAP, regardless of our age, our background, our education, career, or anything else, when it's our mother, our father, our loved one who needs the care, then caregiving stops being out there and becomes very personal and very urgent. So please care well for your loved ones, but also care for yourself. Exactly what Delon just said. Take mm-hmm. care of your loved ones. Take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being with us. Bye for Absolutely. now. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.